0: All right, folks, welcome back in behind the yellow line. This is number 65, and the Cubs, 6-4. and four. Awesome start to this season. We're happy. We got a lot to talk about. Just moments ago, the Cubs knock off Tampa Bay 4-2 at Wrigley Field to open a long homestand with a W. Always good to see. We'll talk about the road trip that went through Pittsburgh and Colorado. We got some Cubs weather. It was cold at the ballpark tonight. We'll see if it's getting any better tomorrow or Wednesday as this Tampa Bay series rolls on. Pittsburgh coming in after that, so lots to get to on that front. A World Series hero for the Cubs announces his retirement today. So we've got some things to say about Mr. Jake Arrieta. Randall, Mr. Japan on this podcast with an awesome story coming out of that part of the world, and then we'll bring things home tonight with number 65. But it's good to see you guys tonight. I wasn't sure that we were going to be playing baseball at Wrigley Field. It was snowing during batting practice, but a wonderful win tonight. And what's very exciting to me... Two guys who've not been tearing the cover off the ball, though. Wisdom had a nice trip to Denver. Wisdom, Schwindel, home runs tonight. Cubs win
1: four to two. That's a good way to start the home stand. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of snow on the broadcast at Wrigley. Generally, if it's snowing, they're they're not playing. So you know we're used to snowflakes flying during Bears games. You don't see a whole lot of them coming down during Cubs games. It was a kind of a new visual. The the, the you know the home run replay floating through those flurry snowflakes. So that was kind of (laughs) nice, more so because they won. Had they lost, it would not have been as nice.
2: Yeah, and uh, pretty impressive. You mentioned Wisdom and Schwindel. Uh, That Wisdom ball, you know, he hit that ball out to left field where, you know, they were showing those weather graphics, and there was something like the wind was pushing the ball like 28 feet into play back into play so wisdom was able to get that ball through that huge win still go 420 i think was the estimated distance that is a a monster blast so uh that guy you know he's heated up like the last few days a bunch of doubles a bunch you know hitting that homer the first Dong of the year um you know there was a lot of you know angst about his start but hopefully he keeps this heat up a little bit and, and continues it
0: Well, you know, it says a lot about just sort of the nature of baseball and baseball fans. You know, it isn't uncommon for a guy over the course of a season. Maybe you're in a funk. You go one for 20 or one for 21. It's a little different if it happens in June. When you start the season that way, it amplifies it all. So he comes out to Denver. He was slapping the ball over Coors Field. But I think something for power hitters, someone like Wisdom, that first home run is a big one. You want to get the first home run out of the way. And once you get that, power hitters can kind of settle in. And good for him tonight. With the wind blowing out jeremy that's maybe a 475 foot home run so good for him to hit it out another big story from tonight though the pitching keegan thompson in particular coming out in relief david robertson wonderful again in the ninth hasn't allowed a run he's got his fourth save so some very impressive arms also in this bullpen
2: keegan thompson i think has been super impressive i think he's yeah. been a story of the early year i know he got suspended knocked down the two two uh games, but- he was a guy, you know, when he first came up last year, I was a little skeptical of him because he wasn't striking guys out. He's getting some mounts, but he, he looks, you know, he he's, he's got some movement and I, I think he's going to be a key part of this team uh, moving forward. If he can provide, you know, two to three innings, that's huge for a, a middle reliever. And, and especially now where you need guys to pitch both sides. Uh, so Keegan Thompson, I think he's been great. And Robertson, like you mentioned was a guy I picked to be the saves leader. It's nice to see him get off the yeah. start with
1: four. Uh, It's convenient that uh, he dropped his appeal of that suspension right after he pitched uh, a multi-inning stint at Coors. It's really convenient how that worked out. But we've talked about this um, maybe as a potential role for Albert Alzalei in the past. Thompson has settled in as that multi-inning reliever who's able to give you two or three really good innings one or two times a week. And as we come out of the short spring training and guys are routinely not making it out of the fifth inning that's a huge piece to have in your bullpen is a guy who can come in and kind of fill out the length of that start you'd like to have and be nails doing it so good to see him settling into that role and settling into that role really effectively
0: He's how do we think huge.
1: Suzuki's
0: dealing with the cold because that was a big storyline he was not a fan of the cold that's about as tough of an
1: awakening at Wrigley Field as you have tonight yeah I felt I felt real bad for him today you know say you got uh, you got opening day at Wrigley uh now welcome to uh, Wrigley Field in April at night and it's snowing yeah. and uh, they said on the broadcast and you know Suzuki a guy with a, a great sense of humor apparently he popped his head into David Ross's office and said uh, to some effect those charts you showed me when we met in Los Angeles were BS which is pretty <laughs> funny of course you know storied they showed him the the weather comparison charts between Hiroshima and Chicago uh, so that's pretty funny but uh, he had that neck gator up the whole time he looked like he was dealing with it and he was on base four times tonight. So clearly it wasn't affecting him that badly. Well, I wonder he, too, how, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was going to say he, to me, he, he, he was been very impressive. Like even tonight he had two hard hit balls over hundred miles an hour. Um, I don't know where in Japan he's from, but it does get cold in Japan. I know you just mentioned the charts from Hiroshima or Hiroshima and uh, Chicago, but like they did have the Winter Olympics there a couple of times. So uh, I don't know. It just seems like I just hope he doesn't get off to that Coastgate start and then kind of falls back. But he's been super impressive so far.
0: Well, I do want to remind you, Jeremy, I know the point you're making there. Uh, Kosuke did have higher war his second year in the majors versus his first. So everybody thinks he had the hot start was terrible. That really wasn't what you were saying. He did have a very good start. Wasn't all-star in his first year. I just like to combat the narrative that Kosuke was terrible after the first, like two months as a cub. You weren't but saying I, that. I just feel like I have to defend Mr. Kosuke. I would
2: mention though, his second year, he got off to another hot start in April and may and then faltered again as the season went on. So he like did it two times.
1: <laughs> Jeremy, to your question, say a Suzuki is from a, uh, a neighborhood, a special ward of Tokyo. And Tokyo climatologically is generally on the warmer side. Hot, humid summers, mild to cool winters with occasional cold spells. It does not, to the best of my knowledge, get particularly cold in Tokyo. Uh, the average low in December is about 38 degrees average low in january is about 34 degrees so it does not quite get as cold in tokyo as it does in chicago so i'm sure he's going through it i'm sure he's adjusting to it and uh, again clearly he's clearly he's managing so hopefully it warms up a little a little here for him soon
0: well i was wondering too if that cold weather was part of the reason why wander franco wasn't in the lineup today and that's one thing that helps the cubs you're playing a good team like tampa bay their best player out of the lineup and i guess he's been dealing with some was it Quad issues, it was a quadriceps issue. Yes, these guys playing a dome in Tampa Bay, they're he's not going out there and playing cold. No, and at this time of the year, obviously, no team wants to push it, um, especially with the shortened spring training. But I do think that's working in the Cubs' favor. And I saw the temperature for the game tonight, and I thought that's going to work in the Cubs' favor. And sure enough, they take game one. Uh, but let's go back to the road trip here for a minute. We were talking a week ago, and we knew this was a six game road trip and kind of a quirky road trip for the Cubs. What I mean by that is two midweek day games in Pittsburgh. That's something that does not happen unless you've got opening day and just one to follow it. Then you got to fly across the country to Denver, three very cold nights at the ballpark, really hot yesterday in the sunshine. So just a long road trip. Games at Coors Field can be a little bit tough. Jeremy, a week ago, you said, you know, come home with a 500 road trip. You're over 500. That's a win. It's exactly what happened. The Cubs win three games on the road trip, they lose three, they come home at five and four. So I imagine you're pretty happy with how that went, all told.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm happy that they were able to come back with a winning record. I, I was hoping for a little more, you know, uh, against the Pirates and, the, and the, the Rockies. Of course, the benefit is they took two out of three against the Brewers, so they were kind of starting like a game up almost on that road trip. Uh, you were the one who mentioned last week that – uh you know the rockies were what like 48 and 33 at home yeah. last year so like the rockies are a really good home team and that's because we can see every year that's a crazy ballpark so the split with the rockies 2-2 um honestly they probably should have gotten out of that a little bit better they had that lead when the marcus stroman game he kind of yeah. was cruising and then he gave it up in a homer so it's a little disappointing they didn't come out, you know with the the series win but yeah you come back into chicago with a winning record i'm i Hey, they're six and four through ten games. I'm I'm happy with the road trip and you know, splitting with the Rockies and when they're you know top five, six team and at home last year, uh that's impressive.
1: WSHAC weird shit happens at coors. Sure. I, I wanted another win at least in that series at Coors, but we we've talked about it at length. It's it's a different team when you're playing the Rockies in their home ballpark. To come out of there with a, a four-game split, it's not ideal, but you'll absolutely take that. And you don't have to go back to that ballpark and deal with the, the weird shit again this season. So you take that split, and you, you build off of it. And the Cubs did that tonight. So I would have liked more wins, but I'll take the split. I'll say this, too. I mean, I'm with you.
0: There were felt like there were winnable games in there. And to have Kyle have that awful game in Pittsburgh, that really sucks. But I think all four of those games in Colorado could go on either way. Rockies had guys on all day yesterday. They easily could have had just one ball, get out into the gap, and then you end up losing that game late. Um, The Stroman game, uh, Cubs still had chances late. And Saturday night, Cubs are down 8-1. They're back in the ball game with the tying runs at the plate in both the 8th and the ninth inning. So, like, plenty of opportunities for them in that series. I'm happy with two. Yeah, it's a tough place to win. And, you know, something that I think about a lot, particularly when the Cubs are playing at Coors Field, and that has not happened since 2019, missed the last two years, you've got this uh, truly unique – well, I'm sorry. They missed what? The 2020 season, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You've got this situation there where I do not understand how Rockies fans put up with 81 games there. Like, Like we take it for four games and you're all exhausted. You're thinking the bullpen's been fried. For them to have to do that all of the time, it's just got to be exhausting. Because it's crazy. Every No lead is safe in that ballpark. Bullpens are constantly being taxed. And it's the shortstop who's not supposed to hit home runs who hits the three-run home run. And it happens all the damn time in that ballpark.
2: It's a crazy ballpark. I mean, the alleys, they, they built that ballpark not wanting balls to get out at like a huge rate. So they built it gigantic, you know, with huge walls that are far away. And their homers still go instead of just, you know, not having less homers, they just created more doubles and triples and extra base hits. And so it just adds more to the offense.
1: Ronan, you have it in our rundown here, Randall throwing shade at Coors. To be clear, yeah. Coors is a lovely ballpark. Aesthetically having been there, having been there for three games, having seen it on TV, it's a lovely ballpark. It's a great place to visit. Wonderful, wonderful views. Beyond the outfield, you get the mountains, you get sunset. Coors is a very photogenic ballpark. And on that basis, I, I like it. It's not like uh, Chase Field in Arizona, which is not photogenic and which does not play fun baseball. It's just, again, weird shit happens at Coors. Jeremy made the case it's a huge outfield. It feels like every outfielder has to uh, play with their back against the wall and everything short falls in front of them. Or if you try and play shallow, everything gets over your head and it rolls 500 feet away. It's just not fun when your team is visiting there as a, a one-time-a-year visitor. Uh, and, and again, to, to to reiterate, I'm glad they got out of there with the split, and I'm glad I don't need to worry about that unique mile-high brand of baseball stress again until next year. I know you like it when the Cubs come in, and I'm sorry you won't see them again in Denver for another year, but as a, a non-traveling fan, I'm glad the Cubs are done there for the season. Oh, well, I understand. And starting next year, Randall, there will be two series in Denver in alternating
0: years, so you're actually so getting... More Cubs baseball in Denver collectively in the next five years or so, but yeah, it is nice to get a break. And let me tell you going to four straight games. I am fried today. I am exhausted. I picked up something. I think the last day out at the ballpark, it's just feeling it. Like, I don't know how these guys do it every single day because going to four games in a row, especially the super cold, windy weather Friday night, Saturday night, and then just baking out at the ballpark yesterday. That's brutal. And my one criticism of the ballpark, you know I've shared this with you all before, but my one true criticism of the ballpark, there's not enough shade in that ballpark. When you play day games in the Colorado sun, it is uncomfortable. And it was a big crowd out there Sunday.
2: Yeah, I remember we were out there in, in this, a couple times in the day, in the daytime, and it did get hot. I mean, I mean yeah. just the sun just beating down on you. Because, you know, as you mentioned, in Colorado, you're up so much higher, you're cl- a little bit closer to the sun. Yeah. So uh, it just beats down on you, and you get a pretty good sunburn, even in weather that's not even that hot.
1: Rona, you're getting on me for throwing shade at the ballpark. Clearly, they need more. Clearly, I need to throw more shade at the ballpark, because there's, there's evidently a deficiency of it there.
0: Well, and I would say to anybody who's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing this. Look at a picture of Coors Field and just look at the width, I guess, of the upper deck overhang. And why couldn't it be two or three times longer? You'd give more shade in the ballpark. It wouldn't obstruct any views. You'd also protect fans from rain and snow and the different things that happen here all of the time at various times of the year. So it, that's one thing that it, it, I think that took the most out of me yesterday was I where we ended up sitting I thought maybe fourth inning the shade would find the, the shade line would finally get over to us. If the game had gone on another hour, we would have ended up in it. So it ended up being, you know, three hours, 20 minutes, and just taking it. And it was tough. But overall, obviously, uh, a nice trip for the Cubs. And there were a lot of things individually, I think, to celebrate. Wisdom started to swing the bat a little bit. Suzuki's just doing everything. He's making plays in the field, he's extremely patient. His pitch recognition is exceptional especially for a guy coming over from a league where they throw a little bit softer, a little bit less break. So to see him up front, uh, what would have been Saturday night, I was out in right field, two rows behind Suzuki. Very cool to just kind of see him in person and to see him and Hayward interacting with each other a little bit. uh, Hand signals, they're very active the way they communicate with each other. And that was pretty neat to see.
2: The first game opening day, I think it was, they almost took each other out uh, early on. They were running, they were almost collide with each other. So it's nice to see them get a little uh, more, you know, there's a language barrier there. And uh, there's actually a great, you know, the band Yola Tango, they actually get their name from the Mets uh, players who uh, it's from, you know, Yola Tango's I have it Spanish. So that having to deal with the language barrier, if, if I got it. But uh, so it's a funny story. But, uh, you know, Suzuki's been amazing. I, I, I've been super impressed by how good he's been. Uh, his pitch recognition, as you mentioned, has been off the charts. And I thought he was get off to a slow start, you know, with the adjustment, not a big spring training. I, I know Kosuke got off that hot start, but I just thought he'd get off to a slow start. And he's been phenomenal. Absolutely amazing. Like one of the best players in baseball and yeah. now player of the week last week. And it's actually made me more frustrated about the Cubs offseason season that Suzuki's like a 27-year-old guy. There was another 27-year-old guy that was out there that supposedly the Cubs had interest, and that was, you know, Mr. Carlos Correa. Now, maybe sure. the offer with the money and everything wasn't there. Suzuki was obviously a lot cheaper. But, like, if we're going to add this 27-year-old guy, we could have added that 27-year-old guy to fit the window as well. So it's kind of made me more frustrated with how good he's been. That's like, hey, we could have done more here.
1: Yeah, playing the small sample size game, but after tonight's game, an OPS of fourteen ninety three. Uh, you know, yeah. you got a four digit you got a four digit OPS. Generally, you're doing things. You're doing things properly. And that's not driven by one stat or the other. He's getting on base at a 564 clip more than half the time he goes up there. He's finding a way to reach base. Uh, you know, we were all worried about the slow start, maybe the adjustment you mentioned. He's been phenomenal so far. I don't know that you could yeah. have asked for a whole lot more from him. He actually broke the record for hitting streak to begin a a major league career by a Japanese born player tonight, breaking Akinori Iorimura's record from the 2007 season. So I don't know that you could ask for a whole lot more from him in the early going. Like Jeremy mentioned, you hope he doesn't uh, completely, I don't know, I don't say crater, but you hope the drop-off isn't as steep as it was for Fukudome later in that 2008 season. He's going to level off, but even if he levels off back to, you know, regular or normal, he's still going to be a really productive player. So Again, hats off to the front office for putting in the work and signing this guy. And hats off to Suzuki for making those adjustments and coming out of the gate strong. Yeah,
0: and I think it's reassuring to have the hot start because if you get a slow start, the one for 21 or something like that, a bunch of strikeouts, you worry about that compounding. And I, I mean, not that I'm one here to question his confidence in himself. He's clearly a very competent baseball player, but you don't want a guy there in the back of his, go- back of his head going, uh, maybe i'm struggling here this is going to be a bigger learning curve than i thought it was going to be he's come out ripping and i thought it was also neat that without a question largest ovation at the ballpark the four days for any cub no question suzuki so he's already become a fan favorite even the casual fans in denver maybe giving him a round of applause but it would definitely was the loudest cheer all four days
2: yeah i mean he won two for four today and his OPS went down, uh, Randall, saying it was 14. I think, I believe it was 15.05 after he So he went two for four, and his OPS went down. Uh, I was going to gonna ask you a question, though. I don't know if we want to get off this topic, but speaking of loud cheers for yeah. the ballpark, at the ballpark over the last four days, how did you handle Chris Bryant?
0: Yeah, really good, uh, really good point there. Um, pre-game, give him a cheer when he was out stretching and stuff. When they introduced him in the starting lineup, gave him a cheer. His first at bat. I gave him a cheer as he walked up to home plate. And then after that, you know, go over four and strike out four times. But I wanted to pay my respect each night. Um, and as you gentlemen know, my clap has a uh, timber to
1: it. It kind of resonates through the ballpark. I've got a distinct clap. I've got a it loud is. boo and a distinct clap. They have a very specific wave form. It's a very specific yeah. sonic signature. I have samples of both. I can analyze them. You, you know, I could pick you out of a crowd if, if need be. Well, I thought, you know, I mean, KB's always a Cubs hero. But I didn't want him to kill
0: the Cubs this weekend. I did think his first home run as a Rocky was coming. There were multiple times, too. I think he had a bases loaded at bat. I'm like, oh, God, here it comes. This is not going to be ideal. But before the game, introduce him first at bat. You got to pay your respects. And it will be nice going out to Coors Field from here on out and being able to actually cheer for him. And I do hope he has a wonderful season. Glad most of it's now done against the Cubs.
2: Yeah, Cubs hero. I, I agree with you. I, I, I me, myself, when he comes to Chicago, I'll probably be out there. You, I, I'll give him the clap. I'll give him the ovation. Comes up first at bat, announce him in the lineup. But after that, you know, I, I don't want to see him make any diving catches, hit some home no. runs against the Cubs. I'm not, I'm not gonna be cheering for any of those.
0: No, no. But um, lots of Bryant jerseys, lots of Rizzo jerseys. Observe though, a lot of random Cubs jerseys, and it was nice to not just see an overwhelming. Baez, Rizzo, Brian, uh, quite a few Mark Grace jerseys caught my attention. And then some classic ones, multiple Sammy Sosa's. Uh, I was wearing the Kosuke Fukudome Chinichi Dragons jersey Sunday, and I had a beautiful broment with a guy in a Cubs home Kosuke jersey in the upper deck. We noticed each other. It was a nice moment, exchanged some high fives there. Just some Cubs fans in Denver enjoying Kosuke Fukudome. You had
1: a Fuku Brome
0: moment. Yeah, there we go, Handel. <laughs> there you go. It was cool. But, you know, I got another thing that I wanted to tell you both, and I love this story, and I hope it lands with both of you. I want you to understand how hard it's been for me to not share this story with you since Saturday when I met this guy. But I've been doing a little bit of volunteer work here. There's the uh, National Ballpark Museum near Coors Field, documents the old parks from 1909 to 1923, and, I, you know, getting in there, giving them a little bit of my time here on the weekends and really want to support the museum. So I was over there Saturday, was kind of going through some training stuff, and this guy comes in and you're sort of taught to ask them, where are they from? What are they doing in town? That kind of stuff. So this guy's in town in Denver from Taiwan. And it turns out, I got to talking to him. He was in Los Angeles the night before at Dodgers reds. And he's in the middle of a multiple month trip to the United States, hitting all 30 ballparks. So Friday night, he's in LA Saturday. He flies to Denver on the red eye. He meets me at 11 a.m. at the museum that night. He's at Cubs Rockies. But we get to talking a little bit. He showed me his team. He had a water bottle with his team's logo on it. The Uni President 7-Eleven Lions is his team there in Taiwan, and I thought that was cool. He was buying a uh, World Series cup from Wrigley Field that the museum was selling to him. And it was just like a make a donation to the museum. We'll give you this cup that was at Wrigley Field during the World Series. So we're handing the guy the cup, and I go, you know, that's my team. Major League team. And he goes, oh, I love the Cubs. They're my favorite team in Major League Baseball. So we get to talking a little bit. He said the team that won him over, the team that got this guy into Cubs baseball, the 2007 Chicago Cubs was the team that had this guy's attention. So I'm like, okay, awesome. Division-winning team. I'm thinking, because I asked him, okay, who's your favorite player? I'm thinking, what, Aramis, Soriano, Lee, I mean, Big Z, something like that. Who did this guy have as his favorite player on the 2007 Chicago Cubs? Cliff Floyd. Good guess, but no. Daryl Ward. No, I love the guesses. Th- that's where my head was at. Ted Lilly. This guy Ted Lilly. loves Ted Lilly. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I grew up as a left-handed pitcher in Taiwan. Ted Lilly's curveball was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. That was that guy's hero. And I'm standing in this museum going, this is incredible. Like, this guy comes over from Taiwan, I run into him, and of all the Cubs he could be telling about, Ted Lilly is his man. So it made me happy. You know, it kind of made my day very cool that this guy got to see a good game at Chavez Ravine Friday. He was in Denver Saturday, and we got to talk some Ted Lilly baseball. So
1: very fun moment at the uh, museum. Well, that that's a great story, Ron. And, you know, fans from all over the world uh, latching on to MLB teams is great. You get... Uh you get American fans who sometimes will latch on to an NPB or a KBO team, but that, that MLB has perhaps despite themselves, managed to have that kind of international reach is great. And real quick, some of the uh, the other team names in the CPBL—that's Chinese Professional Baseball League—you have the Brothers, the Guardians, the Monkeys, and the Dragons, and the aforementioned Lions. It's only a five-team league, but I always say some of these foreign leagues have some of the best team names. We need more Dragons. We well, I guess we have Guardians now. We need more Dragons, and we need more team names. Just called the Monkeys. I don't know that you can get away with like, that God. here in USA. I think that'd be a bad idea. But I, I always love reading some of these uh, these team names in in some of the foreign league because they're always so different and so great. But that's a great story. It was well, Legends of the Hidden Temple there. Randles yeah, and that's the right. Names and the Silver Shrine, of the Silver, and
0: Shrine of the Silver Monkey. That's right. <laughs> Ronan, I thought you
2: were going to tell the story about the guy you met that was a shirts are for work guy.
0: Well, yeah, let me tell you about this guy. So Saturday night. Um, Yeah, people were drinking. It was a, I'm hurting, right? From about two o'clock on Thursday until about eight o'clock last night, I was going hard and I had a wonderful weekend. But this guy, shirtless, and I saw him walk into the park with a sign that says shirts are the number four work. And the man had a plaid shirt on. But when I saw him at the end of the ball game, shirt was off, screaming shirts are for work, Multiple people in the section screaming for him as well. Multiple people taking their shirt off. We got a picture of him up on our Twitter account. That's at BT Wild Podcast. So if you want to get a sense of what the crowd was like Saturday, check that guy out. But shirts are for work, Jeremy. He wore them to the ballpark. He was gone by the eighth inning.
2: Shirts are for work. Just shirts are for work.
0: Yeah. Shirts are for work, not for the ballpark, apparently. Well, one other thing i wanted to share from those ball games a very cool moment for me so i was at the ballpark alone thursday and with uh, different groups of people friday saturday sunday i got really nice seats i was at uh, club level just to the right of the press box on thursday night uh, basically sitting in the press box and i got them for half a face so perfect right uh game ends you guys know my routine ball game ends concert ends i stay put right i don't want to be like an animal being herded through the ballpark let the place clear out i'll take my time leaving so I wait a little bit and I had two options. I could kind of go to the right down the first base line and then walk home that way. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to walk through the club level and exit on the third base side. And it just so happens that in doing so I went through the back of the press box and my timing was immaculate. I was walking through big guy turns around. I'm like, Oh crap, that's JD behind him. Boo! So I had a nice little moment there in the press box. I didn't want to bother him. I'm not an autograph guy. I'm not the kind of guy that asks for a photo, just a little fist bump. A nice win tonight, boys. We'll see you tomorrow. Very pleasant exchange, but very cool to meet JD and Boog. I should have known this. JD is tall. He's a big dude, and that was one thing that really caught my attention, seeing him uh, in real life, I guess, so to speak. And then uh, Friday morning, uh, Harriet and I decided we are going to get some brunch or something, walk through downtown. And my only ask was, let's take the scenic route to the brunch restaurant that just so happens to sort of walk by the team hotel. And again, I'm not the kind. I'm not going to post up outside the hotel. Just want to walk by it. You might see somebody. A couple years ago, saw John Lester walking down the street. So that was pretty cool. Who did we run into? The Coom Dog. Coomer was going the other way to breakfast. Harriet and I were going the other way. Walked by each other. Brief hello. He said, "Hey, how you guys doing?" That was it. But a very nice exchange there. So got to meet three fourths of the broadcast crew. Pat, all good. Wasn't looking for Zaidman, but still very <laughs> nice to see those guys in Denver and. Nice to kind of have it be happenstance so much and not any sort of a weird exchange
1: with any of them. You know, did did Coomer tell you he agreed with anything? And did you tell him you were going to get out to his restaurant in uh, whatever far off summer that is? Yeah, you know, I do want to go.
0: I do want to go. That's something this summer, guys, we got to make that happen. I did want to tell Coomer. I didn't want to bother him. He was walking to 16th Street, which is kind of the tourist district in downtown Denver. There is one restaurant I can think of over there that would have been worth it, and it's a diner. And I suspect he probably didn't go there. Although, you know, Coom Dog, probably down for a diner run. If he had gone the other way, kind of much better options of places to eat at, a little bit less uh, commercial, maybe is the way of putting it. So I kind of felt a little bit bad there I want to give Coom Dog like the the assist, but He's a major league all-star. He knew what he was doing. It's not my place to do that, but still very cool to see he's, him.
2: He's been heading out to Denver for, you know, 30 yeah. probably years. He, he, he probably has got a spot in Denver. He's got a spot. He makes one trip a year annually. Yeah.
0: Well, I like to think he went to the diner over there that uh, I frequent quite a bit, but we'll see. But still, very nice to see those guys, and I wanted to split. So won the first one, won the last one. We're in the middle games, and overall, cups come home on top, and now I get to look forward to a trip to Wrigley Field a little bit later this summer, and I'm certainly going to be ready for that. Yeah. One thing I was a little bit bummed about, though, um, I thought the Rockies were ending a homestand and then going back on the road. Phillies are in town for three, and that was one of the teams at the start of the year, yeah, I want to go see the Phillies play. I'm just burned out. I need like at least a week off, two weeks off. Four days in a row at the ballpark takes a toll on your wallet. It takes a toll on your body. Uh, liver's hurting a little bit right now, too, so... Got to kind of detox for a little bit, but disappointing to miss the Phillies, Schwarber, Castellanos, and Harper. Um, but very cool to get four games with the Cubs. Since I've moved here, it was the first time we had four games with the Cubs in Denver and not getting them in 2020. I felt like I missed out a little bit then. So all in all, good weekend.
1: Give the old uh, DNP coach's decision to, to start off the week, load management. Yeah. It's a long season. you got to pace yourself.
0: I'm feeling it. And I was thinking about those Cubs, hot weather yesterday. They get back to Wrigley and cold (laughs) here tonight. Uh, Randall, the homestand continues. Two more with Tampa Bay. Pittsburgh comes in for four. We get in any reprieve weather-wise with this homestand for the Cubs?
1: Well, no need to give you tonight's weather. We all know it was cold. But as always, the weather is very graciously provided to us by Alexander Hall, whom you can find on Twitter at Alexander Hall and the Twitter account that he is one third of 33.33 repeating percent uh, at Cubs weather. So again, we already know the Monday night weather. It was cold enough said tomorrow night should be a little bit more pleasant. The game time temperature of about 47 degrees with a a gentle breeze out to the left field corner of five to 10 miles per hour with no precipitation expected. Uh, The Wednesday night game It will be a little warmer, still 52 degrees. The winds will be pretty gusty out to center at 20 to 30 miles per hour, and there is a chance of rain. So we've gone through Monday already. Tuesday, of course, will be chilly, but otherwise looking fine. Wednesday, Alexander tells us the weather is, and I quote, up to no good once again, gusty south winds out to left field, and there will be rain and storms uh, uh, prowling, prowling uh, around the ballpark throughout the game. So there could be some issues there. And then the weather will improve uh, markedly, at least as far as temperatures, as the Pirates come in this weekend. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a Thursday night game, and then day games Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Temperatures will range from about 53 degrees Friday afternoon, 65 Thursday afternoon, and then 76 and 72 for Saturday and Sunday. There will be a chance of scattered showers and uh, scattered thunderstorms throughout the series but uh, those chances are slight and the series should be meteorologically considerably more friendly so after the frigid start to the homestand tonight it will warm up steadily from here and by the weekend we're going to be rocking those early june feeling temperatures and uh, again to say a suzuki it does get better stick with us so thank you as always to alexander at alexander hall for the weather follow him and then follow uh, his Twitter account that he co-runs at Cubs weather. So thank you as always, Alexander.
0: Man, you know, they were on it tonight too. They had the radar as the evening was going on. Uh, I was, I texted you guys at about 6 AM mountain time this morning saying Cubs aren't playing tonight. There's snow coming. I did enjoy today. Kind of monitoring that account, seeing the different stuff they were putting up keeps you on top of things as you get ready for the games. And this time of the year, you don't know totally what to expect weather wise. And even when you get a, prediction of what the weather is going to be early that morning, things can change and nice to see they're able to get the game in uh, good stuff there. We always appreciate it. Cubs weather, Alexander also felt a little bit uh, triggered there
1: prowling around Wrigley. Randall, I've been accused of that a couple of times over the years. You have indeed Ronan. And uh, I guess that makes you kind of like a, like a thunderstorm or uh, a, a gusty shower. You've, you've all been collectively accused of prowling around Wrigley.
0: Well, we got steel tomorrow. We got Strowman coming up to wrap up this series with Tampa Bay, but I want to start with Hendricks. Not really great tonight in the game, was awful in Pittsburgh earlier in the week. What are we thinking with Kyle Hendricks three starts in here in 22?
2: I I thought tonight was kind of a mixed bag. It seemed like he, you know, he was kind of working his way through the first three innings with uh, no problem. Then, you know, there were kind of like a a few well-placed kind of weaker hits that kind of got through but then he also kind of lost it, you know, with uh, some control. He had some bad, you know, the, uh, at bats. He was, you know, th- there was a couple walks in there where he, they were just non-competitive. Like he was not finding the zone at all. And then uh, G-Man Choi, I believe, he ripped a ball. That was an RBI single. Um, and so it was just the fourth and fifth innings for it were a struggle for him. And so it it, it just felt like I don't – I didn't know where to think of it. It was a better performance than than Pittsburgh, to be sure. Like it – it was not Pittsburgh where he got crushed, unfortunately, but today it was like the first three inning Kyle was very good, I thought, and then it was just like a mixed bag. I, I don't really know where to think of it. I still think he's so far better than last year, but it, well, I, I still think it's up in the air.
1: Yeah, that, that's where I'm at. I'm not ready to make any sweeping proclamations just yet. Tonight, I think you could chalk up to a lot of things the, the weather. It cannot have been easy to get the grip you need on the baseball out there. The players say that when it's that cold, the baseball feels like a, like a cue ball, like a pool ball. That certainly can't be easy. Um, and again, you're coming off a shortened spring. It's just, sometimes it can be so hard to tell how many innings the guy really needs in order to Be ready to start the season. So like Jeremy said, he was cruising pretty well tonight, and then it just kind of got away from him. I think the underlying stuff is good. That changeup has looked great at times. Um, I'm willing to be a little bit optimistic, but if we get another start or two where he doesn't make it out of the fifth inning, I'm going to start to worry.
0: You know, he benefited. You kind of touched on this, Jeremy, but wind helped him out a little bit tonight. There was at least one fly ball to left that any other day, I think, is about five rows up in the bleachers it kept it in the park. That's probably the thing with Hendricks this year, whether or not he keeps the ball in the ballpark, maybe something that will help him. Home runs are down right now across Major League Baseball. So I don't know if they're back to the old balls or more teams with the humidifier things, if that's it. But home runs being down, probably going to be a good thing for Kyle Hendricks. And at least tonight, the win helped him out a bit.
2: Speaking of the balls, uh, yeah. <laughs> not to get a little bit off topic, but it seems like from what I've seen, uh, and home have been way down, first of all, uh, that the balls have acted the opposite of what Major League Baseball intended, uh, where Major League Baseball wanted a, I believe they wanted a ball that had lower exit velocities, but higher, dra- or excuse me, and uh, but higher drag on it. And instead, they've gotten higher exit velocities, but lower drag. I believe I, I might might have had that reversed. But uh, so that's kind of weird. I would think that the and because they own Rawlings, which provides the balls. So you would think they would know exactly what the ball and, and can manipulate it, but maybe it is the humidors that are now in all 30 ballparks that you said, yeah. but home runs are down to 2015 levels, which you know was prior to this whole kind of run of
1: juice to ball. Well, maybe you stop messing with it year to year, and you don't have to reacclimate to a different model of baseball um, every year. That's, that's my two cents of the matter. Stop stop messing with the baseball and every every april you don't have to wonder what's the baseball going to do this year seems pretty simple to me
0: well i think the worst thing too was the report that they were using two different types of balls over the course of the season and you didn't know when you took them out what you were going to be working with like that's insane to me it's insane to me that there isn't uh, a standard basketball that college basketball uses all season and depending on where you go and play the ball is a little bit different baseball you know, the, the pitcher's grip is such a big part of what they do. So hopefully that gets normalized a bit. Um, and that kind of leads me into what I'm thinking. It's going to be Steele tomorrow, Stroman to wrap up the series. Both of them kind of walked the tightrope in Denver, obviously ended up much worse for Stroman, but Justin Steele's second start coming off that five-inning shutout that he had against Milwaukee, t- couple walks, a couple of hard-hit balls. You figure there's going to be some of that this year from Justin Steele. Uh, Still... Through two starts, I'm pretty impressed with what we're seeing there.
2: I've been very impressed with Justin Steele. I, I was a little skeptical as well. Um, I I, I like Justin Steele a lot. I thought he'd be a dynamite arm in the bullpen. But I think through – I mean, he hasn't quite gotten through the you know the fifth inning. He hasn't really shown sure. any le- the real length you want. But it's early in the year after, you know, abbreviated spring training. But I, I think his two starts have been pretty impressive, to be honest. I You know, it's Coors Field. You're going to give up some hits, some runs. So I, I think Milwaukee – Colorado I'm impressed I'm with him so far and, and I'm looking forward to being at the ballpark tomorrow night to get a chance to see him start and I am excited to see him pitch
1: cool. absolutely Jeremy Jeremy touched on it the starts have been short but if a guy has been pitching pretty well he left with some some traffic last time but if that start is in Coors you never take that as predictive you write that off as being Coors and you take the the good more so than the Coors um like Jeremy said I would like to see him uh get out of that fifth inning uh, and he pitched into the 6 but you know Ross and a lot of managers have been careful with their starting pitchers coming off this short spring what we've seen from him so far has been really impressive the fastball has played well he's sitting 93 94 he's worked in that great slider and he's gotten a lot of swings and misses on it let's see him uh, get that leash a little bit longer and let's see him take that next step forward what we've seen from him so far has been very impressive let's build on that and he's been a really nice surprise so far
0: Randall I know you love takes been some takes about Marcus Stroman on the internet the last couple of days.
1: How are you brushing those off? By not seeing them in the first place, except oh, when I you bet send them. Sure you see them. sort yeah, except sort of you them. send them to me directly, I go to all this trouble, very carefully curating what of very carefully there's you, like the Kool there's you like the through the wall, going, "Oh yeah, the wall take. oh yeah, this one. take. some <laughs> real this stuff out there, real that's. It comes with the
0: territory, you sign a big contract, and then that home run uh, to Alan Trejo, I, I, we all cringed when that one got out. Look, I, I think Marcus is going to be fine. He's certainly going to be better than he's been. But uh, I got a little bit of a kick of some of these fans just completely losing it two games
1: into the season with regards to Strowman's ear. Yeah, you have something shiny float by him. they will go chase that instead. Much better idea than providing takes.
2: He didn't even pitch that poorly in the first game. I mean, give up him one run, yeah. and true, and he left with the lead. And he, I thought he probably should have gone. I mean, he, should, I, you would have liked to see him get some more strikeouts that he had in that first game, but uh, I thought he should have pitched another inning. And then in Colorado, he was cruising through four and a half and he, I, he was pitching pretty well until he ran into trouble in that fifth inning and he just had a bad fifth inning and threw a bad pitch to Alan Trejo and, and he took it out. So I, I think my most disappointment just came from the fact that somebody took him yard when he's a, such an extreme ground ball pitcher. I was kind of hoping in Coors Field, like, okay, maybe they'll get some hits, but they're not going to hit the ball out. And that's just kind of a disappointment, I think. But I'm not too worried about
1: him. Yeah, Danny Trejo, Machete took him deep. So as long as you're not facing down Danny Trejo anymore, you should be fine. And in in fairness, if I were facing down Danny Trejo, I'd probably be pretty worried, too. That's a very intimidating individual.
0: Well, i got to ask you guys this. We're talking about pitch counts off the Cubs beat here for a minute. Wednesday night, Target Field, Clayton Kershaw, the future Hall of Famer, pitching, he has a perfect game through seven, eighty pitches. And our guy Mark Pryor says, that's it. You're out. Ball game over. Jeremy, you're in that spot. What do you do as a Dodgers? I mean, look, it's much easier for us to kind of bullshit about that here with nothing on the line. But with Kershaw, the chance for a perfect game, you send him back out or do you cap him at 80?
2: I mean I, I'm not the Dodgers obviously and the Dodgers are a very you know meticulous team they're, they're they're they have a plan they know what they're doing they stick to it that's why they win so much so I don't fault the Dodgers for what they did I think I don't think it's like even like a new age baseball thing I think it's just you know the way the season's been abbreviated spring training 2020 shortened season last year we'd all know uh the issues is there so like these guys aren't ramped up. Kershaw's only ramped up for 75 pitches to begin with. Um, but me, I probably will let him go. I mean, he was either probably gonna let him. I mean, I, I, he was either gonna get the perfect, probably the perfect game in the next 20 pitches, or he was gonna give up a hit in the next 20 pitches, and then you take him out, anyways. So, like, I just thought, you know, if it's I me, mean, it's something special, it's something crazy. I, I it's like, how do you take a guy out of that? I understand it. I'm not like angry about it, I'm not pitchforks about it. But if I was in that position, I, I I feel like I would have let him go. I just think the odds are he probably would have been pulled anyways, or he would have just finished it. And so
1: I just wouldn't let him go. Yeah. You know, I probably let him go batter to batter, but I I would imagine Clayton Kershaw has enough cash with that, with Dave Roberts and that coaching staff that I'm sure it was a 100% open two-way dialogue. And I think if Kershaw came out, he probably had a say in that decision. So I, you know, in a vacuum, I let him go batter to batter, but I suspect that Dave Roberts did not pull him completely of his Dave Rob, that being Dave Roberts own volition. I suspect there were multiple voices in that discussion. So like Jeremy said, I'm not too worked up over it. i maybe let him go batter to batter, but I think it was probably the right decision ultimately.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously you want to protect that arm. He knows where his body's at at this point in his life and, You know, from a strategic standpoint of the Dodgers wanting to win a World Series this year, probably the right thing to do. Baseball fan, Kershaw fan, let him go. See what happens here. It's going to work out one way or the other. But I'm not going to knock Mark Pryor. They know what they're doing there in Los Angeles. Uh, Just tough. I liked, you know, Kershaw deflected it. And he also threw in there, you know, blame it on the lockout. And he's actually got a point there. No lockout. Maybe he does get a shot to go out there and finish it.
2: Yeah. As I said, he was only supposedly before the game was only seventy five pitches. The one thing I am interested, though, it seemed like when Kershaw came out, I believe it was the top of the seventh, or excuse me, the bottom of the, what was the bottom of the sixth, sixth? or no, he pitched seven, yeah. He pitched when he seven, when yeah. he came out, it seemed like the decision had been made. He was given the handshakes, he was given the hugs, but that was still a close ball game at the time. That was really um, kind of a competitive ball game, and then the Dodgers went back to back to back and hit three home runs in a row and kind of put that game out of out of reach. And I'm just kind of curious whether or not if the game was out of reach before that inning start, before that decision was made, would they have let Kershaw kind of finagle his way through it a little bit more with, you know, a bigger lead built up and like, okay, yeah. one hit, we'll just pull him, or one walk, we'll just pull him. Because um, then, you know, it's putting the game in jeopardy, if it's still like a 3-1 game or 3 nothing game. Um, so instead, compared to a 6 nothing game. So, you know, cause you don't want to pull him, He was sitting there giving all the hugs and it's like, Oh, actually we got this lead back up. Why don't you go back out there? So you don't want to do. So I'm just curious if that lead was bigger, would they actually have made the same decision?
1: I'm sure there were a hundred factors that went into the calculus. Ultimately I don't blame them for making the decision that they did. Well,
0: let's go back to the Cubs here for a minute. And then we'll touch on a couple of things here. Uh, six games to go on the homestand Cubs already up one zero in terms of wins and losses, Randall, give me one story, one player, something that you're looking forward to watching here before the Cubs head back on the road.
1: I'm just looking forward to watching more Seiya Suzuki, especially as the weather gets a little more tolerable. Uh, again, I, he, he hit his first home run, his first Major League home run uh, a week ago, and that's great. And now he's up to four. And a lot of the time I think a guy's first Major League home run is great, but even better are when you get his second and third and his fourth and his fifth in rapid succession and it goes from hey you've got your first home run to the guy becoming a consistent power threat. So I'm looking forward to as the weather becomes a little more hospitable at Wrigley a couple more of those those great fly balls that he hits uh, reaching the seats. And him really proving that he's not just a great hitter, but that he's also going to be a consistent power threat in this lineup. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing on the rest of this homestand is Seiya hitting in his home park, which will get a little more hospitable and adding to that home run total a little bit. I like Seiya Suzuki and I like Seiya Suzuki home runs. So I'm hoping to see more of those this homestand. Jeremy, what's got your attention here?
2: Uh, I feel like there's a guy that we haven't really talked about at all that, to me at least, it seems like. He's been, you know, kind of providing some, you know, he, he looks pretty good early on. I feel like that's Johnson VR. Uh, I feel like he's been hitting balls hard. Um, I feel like he's always kind of putting in good at bats. He's been playing pretty well. So, like, I I just, you know, kind of want to, you know, see him do more. I, I think he's, he's, he's put it together. It seems to me like from what I've watched, and I haven't watched every inning of every game, but I, I, I just feel like he's always kind of putting it together, competitive at bat, always hitting the ball so far. I know it's only been two weeks or so, or a week and a half or so, but I just I just feel like he's, he's been playing. So I kind of want to see him get more of a chance and see him get out there a little more.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And I like how all three of us have different things that we're looking forward to. Uh, the one thing I wanted to throw in there, got to figure out what's going on with this outfield because we're about two weeks away from when rosters are going to shrink again, and the Cubs have too many outfielders. So between options – between veterans that maybe are a little bit past their prime what are the cubs going to do here with regards to that outfield rotation and what if anything will we learn in the next week and a half is this going to be a situation where an injury is going to kind of force their hand frazier's got an option is he going to be a guy who even if he looks okay ends up getting sent back down we might get a little bit of clarity on that and i think it's important to note after these four games with pittsburgh Cubs have a very difficult stretch of baseball coming up here. Three in Atlanta, three in Milwaukee, the White Sox, the Dodgers, and the Padres. So some good baseball teams. The Cubs are going to be playing over the next two weeks after this weekend. So rack up some wins. Tampa Bay is uncomfortable in the cold. Pirates are a bad baseball team. Have a really good homestand here, and you can get away with a tough trip to Atlanta, maybe some tough games up in Milwaukee. There's some good baseball teams coming up here. So keep it hot, and that should behoove the Cubs.
2: Definitely agreed. Uh, you know, you want to take advantage. Like we mentioned before, the, the Cubs kind of playing a lot of weak teams and a lot of really good teams early on. No kind of middling teams. Yeah. So you want to take advantage of those weak teams and then maybe you could steal a couple. You never know against some of those good teams. And so uh, that's definitely kind of the mindset we, you would want to have as Cubs.
0: Totally. Well, let's talk about a Cub great World Series hero, Jake Arrieta, announcing today. That's it. Career's over. He's hanging it up. A 12-year Major League career for Jake. Played with Baltimore, a couple of stints with the Cubs. He was a Philly and briefly a Padre. But you think about his time as a Cub. 148 starts. That does include last year. But we're going to focus on the important stuff here. From 2014 to 2017, six complete games, two no-hitters, Cy Young Award, Dominant performance in Pittsburgh, one of your favorites, Randall. Jay, I mean, there's no World Series without Jake Arrieta. And that guy we saw, yeah, parts of 14 and 16, but particularly 2015, I don't know if we'll ever see a, a Cub pitcher have a better single season than that. And I said the same thing in 03 when Pryor did his thing, and Jake bounced back and was better. So
1: fare thee well, Jake Arrieta. What an unbelievable run in Chicago. Absolutely. You take last year out of the equation. Let me just erase it from the collective memory what we saw in that span was otherworldly. Deshaies mentioned it on the broadcast tonight. And by the way, Ronan, you mentioned he's tall. Uh, Deshaies comes in as a, at 6'4", so you are not wrong. Okay. That's a very tall individual. But Deshaies mentioned it on the broadcast. Every time Jake went out there in 2015 and part of 2016, you just thought you were going to see something amazing. And in fact, you did see it twice. He threw two no-hitters. So I don't know that we'll ever quite see a pitcher do in a Cubs uniform what Jake did in that stretch. And it wasn't just that. He was the poster child for this this Theo Epstein notion of buy low on a guy from some team's uh, from some teams, not farm system, because he wasn't really in the minor leagues at the time, but buy low on a guy that some other team is down on and turn him into a cornerstone. And that's exactly what happened to Jake Arrieta. He fell out of favor in Baltimore. Theo Epstein got him for cheap. Didn't just get him for cheap, got Pedro Strope yeah. along with him for next to nothing. And both of those individuals did what they did in a Cubs uniform. So Jake Arietta, congratulations on a, an interesting and pretty good career and uh, enjoy retirement.
2: Randall, you're calling your fellow MOT Scott Feldman next to nothing over there, but well, Jeremy, uh, you know,
1: I, I think I have to be honest here. Come on, <laughs> Uh
2: 2014. I, let's let's not overlook 2014. I feel like that was really Jake Arrieta took like three consecutive starts into like the seventh inning with no hitters. Like that was when he was really like it was every night. Okay, J- this guy's like into the seventh with a no hitter, yeah. and he finished top ten in Cy Young voting that year. Uh, if had he had more innings, he probably could have made a legitimate case for to be a side young pitcher. He came up midway through the season too. Like he was in Iowa, he was coming back after the Cubs acquired him, and he was just dominant. And I remember, at, at JD mentioned this on the the on the broadcast tonight, but I felt the same way at the time. There were a lot of people when the Cubs signed John Lester, they were like, "Okay, the Cubs have their true ace." And I'm like, "None of you people watch Cubs baseball last year because the Cubs have an ace." And his name is Jake Arrieta. He was amazing. He was flat out. He was a bit better than John Lester in 2014. And he was better than John Lester in 2015. And he had a a good start to 2016. He kind of faltered a little bit down the stretch, came back in the playoffs, pitched very well. Um, But that stretch from, I would say, starting in mid-June of 2014 through 2015 into 2016 when he threw that no-hitter, phenomenal. The highlight, obviously, being the second half of 2015, maybe the greatest second half ever pitched in major league baseball history. Yeah. Uh, at least in the modern era. And it's just, it's ridiculous what he was, what he was able to do. And he kind of came out of nowhere to, you have to remember that it was like Granky versus uh Kershaw for the Cy Young. And then Arietta pitched, he had been pitching well and a uh, great, but he pitched at no hitter on Sunday night and everybody saw it against the Dodgers. And it's like, Maybe this guy's actually in the conversation for the Cy Young. And he blew past Brinke and Kershaw, and he won the Cy Young, and a little bit of an upset. And he just had such a remarkable second half that he just blew by everybody. And so for everything, I I thought Jake was great. 2020 didn't end well, obviously. Excuse me, 2021. Um, But, you know, Jake, he's always will be a Cubs legend to me.
0: 2015. Wins the Cy Young 22 and six, 177 ERA. Four complete games, three shutouts that year. He threw 229 innings for the Cubs. Will a Cubs pitcher ever throw 229 innings in a season ever again? It may be a little while till we see 200 again, much less yeah. 229. So I hope so. Um, I mean, I hope so, but just the way starting pitching is going and the fact that guys don't pitch as long as they used to. I'm looking at the numbers here. I see one guy since then that's thrown 200 innings in a season for the Cubs. Nobody else. So that number may be untouched, and that may be one of the other legacies that he leaves with the Cubs in his time there. Uh, It's just the game has changed, but a completely dominant season. Finished top 10 in MVP voting that year as well, in addition to the Cy Young. Awesome season, and that tweet going on to face Pittsburgh, saying, look, we're going there. We're going to win. There's no question about it. To have that man on the mound, there was nobody else in the world. The Cubs wanted pitching that day more than Jake Arrieta. He went at Garrett Cole, won that game, and then obviously the rest is history, knocking out St. Louis in the divisional round.
2: Yep, and a World Series winner. And not yep. many people can say they were a World Se- uh, Chicago Cub, at least alive, Chicago Cub World
0: Series champion. Sure. So fare thee well, Jake Carrieta. We'll remember the good years and not think so much about 2021. Uh, Randall, we're talking about Taiwan earlier. We're
1: talking about Japan earlier. You got a cool story from Japan. What's going on overseas? I do, as a matter of fact, and I'll keep this short, but the Chiba Chibalote Marines of NPB, Nippon Professional Baseball, they have a young right-handed pitcher. He's 20 years old. He throws 101 miles per hour. His name is Roki Sasaki. On April 10th, He threw a 19 strikeout perfect game, which included 13 strikeouts in a row at one point. And that's not just a new NPB record. It is a world professional record because it beats the MLB record for consecutive strikeouts. He followed that up this past weekend, April 17th with eight perfect innings and 14 strikeouts before his manager pulled him due to pitch count, he has a streak going of 52 retired batters in a row. And that too is a new NPB and world professional record. And I'm not even talking about him as an MLB prospect. He is young. He is still a number of years away from probably making the jump to MLB, if that is his desire. It might not be his desire. So I'm talking about this young man solely as a Japanese phenom. It's great to see that there is otherworldly talent not just in MLB, but in leagues around the world. So, Roki Sasaki, keep doing what you're doing, and you know I'm sure you're listening uh, in, to our to our podcast coming here from Chicago and Denver. But it's just great to see world class world class talent in leagues that are not MLB. There is world class talent all over the world.
2: Well, we need we need to build up that Japanese following. I hope on the podcast we need to get a little bit yeah. bigger in Japan. Uh, I assume this Roki is pretty big in Japan uh but you know we could each become a little bit bigger in japan and you know more worldly following but you know uh, yeah i would assume most world-class japanese players and and most eventually would want to make it to the major leagues because that is the pinnacle
1: but you never know guy might want to stay uh, at home and to be clear at 20 years old he is probably still a number of years away from coming to mlb if he chooses to go that route, he is not eligible. Well, Shohei
2: came early because he really wanted to come. He came at like he 23.
1: He did, absolutely. So he has the option. Um, he does have the option. At this point, his team would have to post him. He'd have to go through the posting system, as Suzuki did. He's still a number of years away from being uh, an international free agent. So if if it is his desire to come to MLB, that is still a few years off. Right now, we can talk about him simply as a, a Japanese phenom playing NPB. Well, listen, I'm going to put it out there. Uh, Chiba... Chiba, that's the name of the team? Chiba, the Chiba Lotte Marines. Chiba is the city. Lotte is the corporate sponsor. Marines is the team name. You give us Rokey, we give you Randall.
0: Cubs got a pitcher. They inherit Randall, who I think would be a hit in Japan. You get that guy over there full time, they will love him. So, Randall, I think you could take this one for the Cubs. You get to live in Japan for a couple of years. We get this talented pitcher. I I think the Cubs need more starting pitchers. Fair trade. Fair trade. trade. Do, yeah, I have I
1: to, do I have to move or can I do this job
0: remotely? Oh, no, you you, you get to move. They'll put you up, a uh, nice space there, uh, all the wonderful things. Randall, there's a lot of things that are popular in Japanese culture that you're a big part of, that you're a fan of. You like the food. The food over there is fantastic, and they're big baseball fans. So I'm proposing the trade here, and I hope they'll
1: take us up on the offer. I'm going to have to consult my agent on this one. I think I have an international NTC uh, you know, my, my, my no trade list um, includes some MLB cities, but I'm pretty sure I have an international NTC where I at least get to uh, I at least get to review any trades sending me overseas.
2: We have to build up the Japanese following. Yeah, we are well, international we for all the podcast listeners out there. There are people we maybe one day we can greet them all in each different language. But there are people all around the world listening fine the
0: line. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy's got access to the numbers. We can see where the downloads are coming from. The only one that really kind of was weird or had my attention hits coming from Moscow. So I don't know if Vlad's over there listening to the pod. If he is cut it out, not (laughs) cool what you're doing, man, but we're getting some hits from Moscow right now. So we're, yeah, we're getting out there. People are listening to the show.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I agree with you. Hey, Vlad, cut it out.
0: Knock it off. All right. Number 65, Randall, this is our 65th podcast. This is not a number that has worn a lot in Cubs history. We got some single digit numbers coming up here as well, but 65, all of it worn in the last couple of years. Of the three, who
1: do you got? You know, I'll take Casey Sadler. He pitched briefly for the Cubs in that even more brief 2020 season. I thought he was going to do some good things in that Cubs bullpen. Uh, It didn't quite work out and they ended up jettisoning him and I believe he ended up in Seattle. So Casey Sadler is a number 65 and I believe that number has – uh, some personal significance to him, what that significance is escapes me at the moment, but he was a 65 and an appropriate name for a guy pitching in Chicago, Jake Jewell from last year. Yeah, the uh, jewels that's right. Uh, so Jake Jewell. And then, of course, the first individual, the third, oh, the third total individual to wear it, uh, Coach Franklin Font. Uh, is a number 65, or was a number 65. So as you said, Ronan, it's not a number with a whole lot of distinction or even a whole lot of players. You've got a small sample size, and none of the players in that sample are particularly notable. But that's how it is when we get into the 60s, not just for the Cubs, but for most teams.
0: I was thinking Franklin Font was a Cubs prospect at one point, or at least a minor leaguer, right, and then moved into coaching. I have this image of him as, at one point in time, being a Cub minor league. I don't even know if we ever got to triple A or anything like that, but I think that's how he got
1: into it. And then when he came back as a coach, it brought everything full circle. Ronan, you have a memory, memory, like a steel trap in that it's rusty. And sometimes I get stuck in it. Uh, But in this case, you happen to be exactly correct. He was a Cubs prospect from 1996 to 2000. He reached as high as double A with the Cubs that at that point, they were the West Tennessee diamond Jacks. So he got that high. He played in The uh, the Gulf Coast League, he played in the Florida, the Florida League, the New York Penn League, apparently Williamsport was a Cubs affiliate uh, at that point. So, yes, he was, in fact, a Cubs prospect. He did not do a whole lot of anything. He could hit a little bit, didn't have a whole lot of power, didn't have he had some base stealing speed, 102 stolen bases in five seasons across the minor leagues. And he was mostly an infielder, second base, shortstop, third base with a teeny bit of outfield thrown in there for good measure. So you are correct. He was a Cubs prospect at one point, and that was probably his uh, his inroad into coaching. So good call by you.
2: I, I was going to say, I agree with you, uh, uh, Randall, about Casey Sadler. I thought that he'd be a guy that the Cubs had picked up that would do some things in the bullpen. I always like to look at, like, when there's guys like that, like, what teams were the teams that were, you know, interested in him uh, previously? Because there's certain guys that kind of fit certain teams, I feel like, philosophies. You know, the Cubs got him from Los Angeles, the Dodgers. And before that, he was with Tampa. So it's always like, you know, some some real smart teams were bringing this guy in. And he ended up in Seattle, which I, I think is a decent team organization. So, you know, I always kind of look at that. And so it's like if you're going through these kind of teams, it's like, oh, maybe there is something there. Other people saw something. The Cubs saw something. So maybe there's something.
1: And Ronan, one more note about Franklin Font. Uh, one of his stops in 1998, he played for a team that is quintessentially you – the Cubs' A-ball affiliate in the Midwest League at the time, the Rockford Cubbies. There is nothing more quintessentially Ronan than a team called the Rockford Cubbies. You, of course, experience in Rockford. You love your yeah. Cubbies. It's the Rockford Cubbies.
0: Yeah. You know, I wonder, too, I have no idea, Wilmer Font, related? Something going on there? Um, that's a guy that uh, MLB The Show 13, like perennial Uh, Oklahoma City driller, I think that's what they're called, or at least they were at the time. Uh, Guy that just sort of stuck around. So I was curious
1: maybe if they're related, but I do not believe the two are related. And Wilmer Font, if I'm not mistaken, playing over in the KBO right now. Uh, So yeah, I do not believe they are related. They are both Venezuelan, but to the best of my knowledge, there is no familial relationship between the two. I I know Wilmer
2: Font through pretty hard.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you
0: listen to this podcast, get all the way to the end. You get all the Wilmer font, Franklin font talk that you need and didn't know you were going to get when you started listening to this before we wrap up. Yeah. Randall, I saw your hands
1: in the air real quick. I said it before that some of the foreign leagues have the best names. Wilmer font playing for a team called the SSG Landers in the KBO and Landers is specifically like a flying saucer. Their whole motif is alien-based, like, like an alien ship landing. And they rebranded from being the Wyverns. The Wyverns, uh, like a mythical creature. So I'll say it again. Some of the foreign leagues have the best yeah. names.
0: I like that. I got one other Ted Lilly note. It kind of came back to me. Uh, two interesting notes about Ted Lilly that I had forgotten about and revisited earlier today. Twice in his career, he was ejected from games that he did not appear in. Once as a Cub, 2009. Another a couple years later as a Dodger. He's in the dugout watching his teammates compete, gets into fights with the umpire in both instances, gets ejected from the ballgame. So wanted to get Ted Lilly in one more time. That is awesome, and that's a guy that you know is a competitor that even when he's not pitching, he's barking at the umpire enough to get tossed out of the ballgame. Maybe he just so,
2: wanted yeah. an excuse to leave the game. Yeah. Get home early.
1: Go, <laughs> go, go commit insurance fraud on his, yeah. uh, his camper.
0: Hey, that's uh, it, Theodore Roosevelt Lilly. I didn't share that story with the guy from Taiwan. I got He doesn't need to know that right now about that side of Ted Lilly. Uh, Jeremy, anything else to add here before we wrap this thing up?
2: No, go Cubs. Complete the series uh, with Tampa Bay, and let's take
0: some from Pittsburgh. That sounds good. We're on Twitter, at BTYL Podcast. We will be back soon with number 66. That's an important number in Cubs history. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.